Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Social Ninjas. Hiya! With practice, Jeremy and I have reached the point where social anxiety doesn't control our lives. I went from being anxious to speak to people to speaking in front of hundreds of people without a sweat. That's amazing! I went from being anxious to be able to approach anyone to interviewing celebrities in Hollywood and giving free hugs across the world. Now, we both co-host a podcast where we interview amazing human beings. Which is something I would have been terrified to do in the past. And while we aren't battling social anxiety like we used to, we still have mental health that we work to improve every single day. That's why we created this podcast, to be able to provide valuable information to you on how to feel the best you can and also normalize the conversation around mental health because we all have mental health. And if I don't take care of my mental health, I'm not being the best version of myself. Same here. We all need to take care of our mental health and the Social Ninjas podcast is here to help you do just that. A quick note, we are not health professionals and what we say should not be used in place of or replacement of medication or your doctor. Enjoy the show! Welcome to the Social Ninjas Podcast. I am your co-host, Kyle. Join with me as always, Jeremy. What is up? Me? Go yeah! (laughs) All right. I mean, what's up, Kyle? How's it going? What's up? Um, And then we also do have a very special guest today, believe it or not. Very special guest. Very special. (laughs) And her name is Amberly Lago. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce the last name. Did I get it? You got it. Kyle you gets, guys are awesome. Kyle gets seven <laughs> points. Plus, we are awesome. Oh yes. my gosh! <laughs> Thanks for having me here. It's fun being with y'all. <laughs> Already, I've had fun even before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, we had a nice right. conversation. <laughs> fun is part of our our, our core values. So I'm glad we're <laughs> they're putting it to purpose. All right. <laughs> All right, so Amberly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do? Yes, I am an author, speaker, and health coach. I've been in the fitness industry for about, oh gosh, 25 years now. And that all sounds kind of boring, I think. So I'll tell you how I got into to doing what I do because I've been a dancer and athlete my whole life and I got into training And it was when I was hit by an SUV riding my motorcycle and everything changed. You know, I I was put in a coma and woke up and they told me I was going to have to amputate my leg and I had a 1% chance of saving it, that uh, my life completely changed overnight. I had no idea how drastically it would change. Um, But I went from living on the dance floor and the gym floor and not even owning a computer to having to kind of reinvent myself, or I should say getting to reinvent myself because it took a lot of grit and grace to get to where I am now and 34 surgeries and uh, long hospital stays and 
um, right before we started recording, I had just shared with y'all that I actually ran yesterday, which is the first real run that I've had in, in 10 years. So it's taken me a long time to get to where I can say, I finally did it. I ran. And um, so I'm a big believer in um, progress, not perfection. And um, now I really want to share with others um, tips and tools how to really tap into their own resilience. And so anybody listening today, if you're here, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And my intention is to really share um, not just hope, but really some things that will help you overcome uh, some of life's most difficult challenges. Because I've, you know, at one time I'd lost everything. I'd lost my career, my hope, my career. I hated myself. I hated the way I looked when I looked down and saw my leg all deformed and um, scarred up. And so I really just want to say that if I can get through these things and you can too. So um, thanks for having me here. Yeah. I'm just going to go straight into it. Um, I want to hear the, what that impact was for you and your mental health initially, and then how you um, went deep within to, do what you did and stuff you learned, those tips that you were talking about? Um, well, you know, I remember being in the hospital and when it really hit me, because I think I was in a little bit of a denial when I first, first woke up from a coma, I was just like, oh, there's only a 1% chance of saving my leg from amputation. Well, there's still a chance. Like I still, I clung on to that hope and that's what I really hung on to. But I remember when I was laying in the hospital bed and one night, you know, I was in such pain, I couldn't sleep and I was watching some infomercial and it was how to get a Brazilian butt. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll never have a Brazilian butt. My legs all scarred up. What if I never walk again? What if they amputate my leg tomorrow? And I started spiraling down into this depression and there's definitely things I did in the hospital to kind of slow down that depression progress. But I remember doctors kept telling me, well, you're going to need to take these antidepressants because you're going to be really depressed. And I was like, no, I think I'll be okay. I think I'm going to be okay. And then I'd have another doctor come in and say, no, you're really going to need to take this Cymbalta for your depression because basically your life is screwed up from here on out. No, I mean, it was like, there, there, all the doctors were like, eh, I don't know about this. This isn't looking good. And, you know, I got out of the hospital and I was on 11 different prescription medications. I was trying different, you know, prescriptions for depression. And every single time I would throw them up. And I finally told the doctor, I was like, you know, if I can just move my body, I'm going to be okay. And they're like, well, good luck with that. You're confined to a hospital bed. You can't even stand up. And so I had to get creative with what I could do and I could still move my upper body. And so what I did was what I could with what I had. I had one of my trainers um, that I worked with. I had, a, I had several trainers that used to work for me and a lot of friends that were trainers and I had one of them bring some weights and I was doing dumbbells in the hospital bed to keep my upper body strong. And I had a chin up bar installed over the bed so I could still do some pull-ups. And 
And that was to make me feel better mentally. And I feel like if we can move our bodies, it moves our minds. Uh, and that was also to give me a sense of accomplishment, like I could still do something. And it also built my confidence and made me feel like I'm getting stronger, I'm getting better. Um, but it wasn't until um, about a month after I was home from the hospital, they said, well, you are now diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. So just when I thought things were getting better and I thought I'm gonna beat this depression, see there, I'm climbing out of it. I was diagnosed with an incurable nerve disease dubbed the suicide disease because it leaves you in constant chronic pain. And not only that, the pain is ranked highest on the pain scale. So that means it hurts worse than having a kidney stone. It hurts worse than an amputation. It hurts worse than having a baby. And I can attest to that. I've had two babies um, and it's nonstop and the pain will never leave you. And so once I found that out, that is when the depression kicked in full force and the kind that you feel like drags you over cobblestones and throws you into a dark pit. And that is where I really hit my rock bottom and I became, I didn't want to live anymore, but I was too scared to die. And I think it was the fact that I, my children were my inspirations um, and that I have a higher power in my life that I call God. And I think it was like I had that 1% chance of saving my leg. I held on to that little flicker of light because I think we all have that light within us. And I had that light inside me was just barely a flicker. It was barely burning and almost out. And it took every ounce of courage that I had because when you're depressed, it, it takes so much energy just to get out of bed. It takes so much energy to even think of making a phone call. Um, and for me, it took a lot of courage to ask for help because I was taught my whole life to, you know, hide your crazy and be a lady and suck it up and cowgirl up and, you know, that, and, and so for me, um, there was a lot of shame and a lot of past trauma that I had ran from my whole life, whether, you know, trauma from being sexually abused that I used my athleticism to, I just ran, I literally ran from all my problems. And it wasn't until I was confined in this bed and I could not run from it, that all these emotions were right in my face and I had to deal with them. And I, I feel like we really, we heal what we reveal and we have to let those feelings rise up to the surface so we can process them we can learn how to move through those challenges because, you know, a lot of people go, well, well how did you, how, how do you deal with pain every day? And I'm like, well, I still have pain. I just get through it. And it's not like I, I'm like, I beat this. Well, I did. I'm not suicidal anymore. I did find ways to climb out of that, of that depression, but I did not do that on my own. I would not be able um, to 
I don't think I wouldn't be here and be where I am today without the support of um, my soul sisters um, and my sobriety sisters and my best friends who I call the God squad um, and the support of even the tribe of my Insta Instagram family that I've made these meaningful connections with on social media. Um, I think it's really important to surround yourself with those positive people. And if I can say one thing to anybody who's listening today, if you're struggling, the thing that really changed my life was that moment that I reached out and asked for help. Because I think we have to really admit when we need help. And that's when we can start to take action and make ourselves our, our lives better. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's something I've historically struggled with is going out and just asking for help. For whatever reason, sometimes there's that, that barrier. And it's like, oh, I can I can do this, you know, I don't need anybody's help. I, I don't want to seem weak or put a burden on somebody else. And me and Jeremy mm -hmm. talk about this all the time. Most of the time, people love to help you, <laughs> mm -hmm. especially if it's with things that they've struggled with in the past. And now you're struggling with it. Like, we're more than willing to help you out with stuff. Um, yeah, and on top of that, I want to add on to that. The studies show when someone can be of service to someone else, it brings them double the joy of receiving help. Yeah, I think I know that being of service was one of the things that helped me through my hardest moments, even when I was in the hospital. And people go, well, how could you be of service when you were stuck in the hospital bed? And I was still making phone calls. It doesn't take much to be of service. It sometimes it just takes, you know, being there to be a shoulder or an ear for somebody or, uh, you know, just to kind of hold space for someone. So, yeah, I think that's really important. So you're sitting in the hospital, you've been dubbed this, what you called the, the suicide disease. I think you called it. And then you're also dealing with all these emotions that you had bottled up for a while, all that kind of happening at once. How, how did you make it through that? How, what was like the mindset shift there? Oh, how, how'd you get through that? Um, I really, I think one of the things that helped me the most was I noticed when I would write my journal and I was writing down everything I was grateful for. And a lot of times I was just writing down names of people who had come to visit me in the hospital or nurses that were taking care of me so I could remember their names or remember to write thank you notes to these people who had brought me gifts in the hospital. And I noticed when I would do that, that I would shift from focusing on the anxiety and the sadness of what I looked like and maybe what was to come or what was gonna happen or what I get through the next surgery. And I would shift my focus on all the blessings that I had in my life. So I started really making a practice of that and right getting into this day. I still do that every day. I um, have a gratitude practice where um, I think it's not only important to write down, there's something very healing about writing and writing out your feelings, but also writing things that you're grateful for. And then I have an accountability partner and we actually text each other every morning and we will read either out of like a spiritual book or a self-development book. And we'll take a screenshot of that and um, 
send it to each other and we will write each, you know, three things that we're grateful for, because I think it helps too, if you have accountability. And so if you've got somebody that's like, okay, I'm going to keep this practice going because this person's counting on me. I'm going to shift, you know, shift her day. She's going to shift my day. So that really helped. I think it's really important to, like I said, accountability to, to really have connection as well um, and make meaningful connections. And how I did that was, it was hard at first, but I had, I opened up and I kind of shared my struggles with people that I trusted and um, it made, when you share your pain, it cuts it in half. And so I think that really helped. But I also, when I first got out of the hospital, I mean, I went to see a psychiatrist and they're like, yeah, still try to take those, that medication, the antidepressants. And I kept trying for like three months and it really did not work for me. And I, I finally went back and I said, well, I think throwing up every day is much worse. I, I can't, I just can't throw up anymore. It's making me so nauseated. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to get out of this myself. And so with the gratitude practice, with connection with other people and, and like I said, reaching out for help, um, I think those things really helped me. And I think that having a sense of purpose helped me. Um, I felt at my lowest when I, I wasn't working. And I feel like, you know, I was lucky that I felt like a sense of purpose for my children and my family. But once I had stopped training clients is when I got to my worst point. And, you know, some people may go, well, I don't have a purpose. I don't know what to do. And, you know, we can all start to think creatively about what your purpose, it doesn't have to be some clear cut thing, you know, like this is your purpose, but start just getting creative by thinking about things that bring you joy and whatever sparks your joy, that's usually connected to your purpose. And if you can do something in the same line, in alignment with what brings you joy, then that's going to help bring you out of your depression too. This makes me think, I don't know if it was a podcast guest we had on, or maybe it's just a video I saw, but they were talking about finding your purpose. And they were saying like one way to try to find it was just imagine you were, you know, financially independent and what would you do, you know, for eight hours a day, if you didn't have anything else to, so you didn't have laundry or cleaning or anything else to do, what would you fill your time with? Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of worked for me. I thought that was a really cool idea. It's like, okay, what would you like want to do? Like what means a lot to you? I think that's a good way to find your purpose. Yeah, I, I agree too. And it's so interesting because I have a lot of people. I, in fact, I had one of my coaching clients reach out today and she was like, well, I'm just, she just started speaking and she was like, well, I'm really, um, I just wondered, you know, there's a lot of online conferences that don't pay and some that do pay. And I'm just not sure which one to do. And, you know, do you get paid for all your speaking events or, or she flat up asked me like, how much did you get paid for your last speaking event? And I was like, I said, look, I had, I spoke for free 
to for any organization, any event, anybody that would have me for the first like three years that I did motivational speaking or keynote speaking. And I mean, some of it was at, uh, you know, little coffee houses or little tiny networking groups. Some of them were got to be bigger and bigger stages. But I was like, when I first started out, you know, I, I spoke for free because I loved it and I wanted not that I loved being on stage. I was always getting really nervous about that and felt like I was going to pee my pants before I got on stage. But I was so passionate about sharing the message of hope and inspiration for other people. And, and what you just described is so true because it's, it, it is, it can be a lot of work and, and when you're starting a business and not much pay. So if you don't love it, it's really going to feel like a job. But if you love it, it's going to feel, it's going to feel like fun or, or work that you love doing. Yeah, that's so true. We always talk about do those positive reps towards your goal and the things will work out kind of seems similar. I have a question kind of backtracking. You talked about the moment that shifted everything for you and that was reaching out and i know from my experience and clients i've had is they have so much fear around reaching out because they ha- they feel like something's wrong with them they're going to be a burden what would your um support be for them for how like the best way to kind of ask for support well first of all i want to say the first person that i asked for help was like yeah yeah i'm gonna help you i'm gonna introduce you to this group of ladies that we meet every week and, and we're going to support you and love on you. And then I never heard from her. And so don't, sometimes people are busy in their lives and they can't help you at that moment. So I didn't let that stop me. I was like, no, I really need help. And so for me, I had, I used Google. Google was my best friend. I was like, I Googled and I Googled a um, 12 step recovery program. And I was like, I need, I need help in a big way, or I'm, I'm going to die. If I don't get help, like tomorrow, I'm going to die. And so I then found a 12 step recovery place and I went and got help. And it's still sometimes hard for, for me to ask for help. I think it's easier. I think the more we, we realize that we aren't meant to do it alone, that we're humans are made for connection and for bonding. And I think I would ask yourself, why is it that you are afraid to ask for help? And where's that coming from? For me, it stemmed from, I didn't want to feel like a burden. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to feel like, oh, I don't want to bother that person or I didn't, you know, and also it came from me feeling not worthy enough. And that would show that, you know, I wasn't enough, that I couldn't do things on my own. And so once I realized where it came from, I could work through the how part. And I think once we you know, we want or need something and we want to survive or we want to get better bad enough and we become humble enough to ask for help, then it's easier to ask for help. And for me, I was humbled down to where I was like, okay, I am in so much pain 
um, emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally that I'm going to do, and I am willing to do whatever it takes um, because my life counts. My, I'm, this is a live or die. So I think it doesn't have to be that way for others. I think that if you know it's okay to ask for help, that that's normal. And, and just a quick story, you know, as I said, I think I've gotten better. I, I actually, I know I've gotten better about asking for help because um, when you know, when you're eager to make your life the best that it can be, you start going, oh gosh, I really need help with that. And I don't know how to do this. So I'm going to ask for help. And so when I first decided to write my book, I hand wrote my entire book and I got a publisher. And so I had to buy this laptop we're on and I did not know how to use a computer. You know, my whole life I was on the gym floor and the dance floor. So I didn't, I didn't have a computer. And so I signed up for at the Apple store to take a lesson on how to work this computer, the laptop. And in the middle of the class, he stopped the class and he said, I just have to tell you something, you know, I, I'm really impressed with you. I've never had anybody that has not been embarrassed to ask so many questions. Usually people feel embarrassed to ask so many questions, but I'm impressed that you've asked so many. I said, oh no, I need to learn this. I am not embarrassed to ask because I don't know how to do this. So I need help. And so, um, I, you know, we're only going to learn and grow if uh, we, we know the answers to problems and sometimes we need help. Hello, this is Kyle, your favorite co-host of the Social Ninjas podcast. Don't worry, I won't tell Jeremy. Uh, I just want to share with you all this really awesome mental health app designed specifically for men. So we all know that mental well-being takes practice, it takes strength, and it takes vulnerability, which for us men is sometimes kind of hard. It's not something that we fix, it's something that we honor. And no man needs to do that alone. That's where the Tether app comes into play. It's an area to practice those skills. With the app, you get access to peer programming, content, and a 24-7 support network where you can support other men and be supported yourself. It's not just a place to come when you're having a bad day. It's for every single day, and we celebrate a lot in the app. It's available on the App Store and Google Play Store for free. All you got to do is go check it out. Go download it. It is the Tether app, and that's T-E-T-H-R. Go download it right now, then come back to the podcast and listen. So you you did a TEDx, and you talk about, I think it was some like a, a pacer method to help kind of deal with your pain. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, I, I use a quick acronym. I love visualizing and acronyms and things that help me get clear easier. And so there's a couple of things like HALT, y'all probably already know this, but stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so I try not to ever, you know, my husband will go, are you halting? Like, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Because we don't always make the best decisions when we're coming out of, you know, a place where we're too 
you know, hungry or lonely, it, it, we can tend to let our emotions get the best of us. And so I also, I came up with something called the PACER method and it stands for perspective, acceptance, community, endurance, and rest. And that allows me to really tap into my resilience and thrive. And so I share that with others because we all have the ability. We all have resilience. We all can rise up again and again. And it's not about falling. It's about getting back up. And so um, for me, in order to get through days, especially where I'm in constant chronic pain, and you know, you may be sitting there going, well, I don't have chronic pain, but we all have pain, whether it is you know, heartache or loss, or it, it is physical or it's emotional. We all go through seasons in life where we experience some kind of pain. And so for me, Pacer helps me get through that. Perspective is the easiest way to change the way you feel about your situation. So to shift my perspective, I use gratitude. I count my blessings. I sometimes think about how worse it could be, and that immediately shifts my perspective. Um, the A in PACER stands for acceptance, and that's really about what we talked about earlier, about taking a look at where you are in your life. If we don't realize um, that we uh, have a problem, or that we're hurting, or that we're lonely, or, or that we're depressed, uh, then we can't do things to fix it. And so for me, I had to admit that, okay, I have got CRPS for the rest of my life. I had to admit, oh, maybe I'm drinking a little bit too much to try to numb out this pain. I had to accept, oh, I have not dealt with a lot of past trauma once I did, I could take steps to get better. Um, and then I could also connect with a community of like-minded people. And that's the C for, um, in PACER called, is for community. And, uh, you know, I used to try to do it alone and it didn't work. I tried, tried, didn't work. I have found that, yes, we can do a lot of things on our own, but together we are, stronger, we're unstoppable. And so I think there's something magical when you can connect with other like-minded people who have been through similar experiences because you give each other hope. When you see that someone else has gotten through certain situations, um, it really inspires you to keep going, to, you know, to not give up. Um, and it takes a lot of endurance and that's the E in PACER and endurance is really where grit comes it's where your passion and perseverance come into play it's focusing on your why to get you through all the hows when we don't know how we're going to do it like our why has got to be so strong it's going to get us through and then the last part of the pacer method is r and that really stands for rest and recovery and because, you know, I used to be all gas, just go, 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 hustle, 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 like it, you know, and I think it was to, I was an overachiever to make up for things that I felt like I was lacking on the inside. And um, I felt like uh, if I was resting, it meant quitting. And what I realized is resting means that you're taking care of yourself, that you are respecting yourself enough to 
show yourself some compassion and give yourself some grace to get through. And, you know, when we rest and, and some of the top doctors and thought leaders all say that they rest and some, some of them rest every hour, like they will get up and schedule rest periods every hour of their day so they can be more productive. And so um, I am reminded constantly by my husband when I mess up on Pacer and he's like, oh, you left out the R on Pacer. You're not, oh, where's the C? Where's the C? And so I'm not perfect. I still mess up and I'm still learning as I go. Um, but I think when we come together and we share, you know, ideas that, and, and things that work for us that we can, you know, sometimes when we're having a tough day, we can remember, Oh, wait a minute. What was that pacer thing? Hmm. Did I reach out to somebody today? No, maybe that's what I need to do. And maybe that can make your day better, you know? And so that's why I share that because it really has changed my life. If I'm, if I am doing those things, then I do feel better. So I, I, I like making a list and checking it off and um, that helps me remember it. I have a question. Is there any moments where you're, you're so fight or flight that you can't even get to like the intellectual part of your brain to get to Pacer? And is there a way you kind of snap out of oh it? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. In, in chronic pain, <laughs> With CRPS, you're basically in fight or flight sometimes all day long because your body, it basically feels like I have a vice grip around my foot. And so what do you, you, do? you want to, it, it's fight or flight, you want to scream. And sometimes there's nothing I can do except for breathe. Um, I think breathing changes a lot. It, it calm, it not only calms your body. And I know that sounds like such a basic answer, breathe, but when, when you're in fight or flight, like I, I'm not even breathing properly. Sometimes I don't realize I'm hardly breathing at all when I'm in that, or I'm breathing too shallow and too fast. So if I just take control of my breathing, and focus on breathing in and say a mantra like breathe in peace, exhale freedom or, or whatever it may be. It gets me in the moment and to where I feel like I'm in a little bit more of control of, of the situation. I really focus on what I can control. Um, I think sometimes where I get in that fight or flight is where I feel like I'm out of control, like everything's out of control and I have to stop and check in and say, well, wait a minute, maybe I need to say the serenity prayer, which, you know, is grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference because, um, you know, we don't have to have it all figured out. We, but um, it's doing these small things every day that make a big difference. For me, I do a morning ritual and I like to say ritual because it makes it seem like it's not a routine, like it's work, but it's a ritual. Mm, I love um, it. Kyle's you know, hanging out of there like, oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and that helps ground me. It helps ground me and set the tone for the day. So believe me, when I wake up, I want to grab my phone. I want to like start scrolling through social media or check my emails or, or check Twitter or the news or, or even turn, you know, like TikTok, whatever it is. And I don't, before I start my day, I get, I really, I do my reading. I look at my journal. I, you know, uh, send my accountability partner a text of what I'm grateful for. I do a short meditation and that might seem like a lot, but everybody's daily rituals different. You know, some, one of my friends, she takes two hours in the morning to like meditate and, and I'm like, wow, two hours. I already get up at four 45. There is no way I'm getting up at like three 30 in the morning. <laughs> to do this. But, you know, if I didn't get up at 4.45 in the morning or five, then I would feel very hectic and fight or flight all day because I wouldn't feel in control of my day. And sometimes I'm not in control, you know, but when things come up, I'm not completely derailed because I've been able to get grounded early in the morning. Yeah. And I, it's interesting you bring this up because it's so attuned to what's going on with me is I do a lot of work on myself. I go to weekly men's meetings. I facilitate, I get, you know, do my processing and stuff like that. And there's times where I'm like, I've done so much work. I'm just going to not do my morning routine. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, no, um, I'll wake up and I'll be in a really awful mood and having to be depressed sometimes when I wake up and just not in a space, just overwhelmed and anxious. And then I'll just take a breath. I'll just almost force myself to do my morning routine. Mm -hmm. And lately it's just been, you know, meditation, um, running is simple. Um, I want to, I'm going to start bringing gratitude back. I, it's on and off as far as my gratitude. I'll go like days in a row gratitude and then I'll take a lot, a lot of time off. But yeah, without my, without my morning ritual, uh, I don't know, like my days would not be as enjoyable. Oh, for, for sure. For me too. I mean, it, it just wouldn't be the same. And then I carry that into evening as well. So I, I end my day with, you know, I take a bath and kind of calm down and drink my tea every night. And what kind of tea? What kind of tea? Oh, I do like, um, it's called like a Cairo cleanse. It's a Ooh. detox tea, but I have a whole collection of, of tea. So I pull out this big drawer and it's got it, all my teas laid out. It's very fancy because I like to have, you know, something nice, like a treat, like tea at the end of the day. And my, my youngest daughter and my oldest daughter too, likes to drink tea with me. Um, when she's, when she's in town, but my youngest daughter does for sure. And, and then we get in bed and cuddle with our little three pound dog. And we talk about what was the best thing that happened today. And what is one thing you're grateful for? Because if you can, you know, shut off electronics and get in the bed and connect and say, what was the best thing that happened? And what are you grateful for? It really sets the tone. And that is, that affects what you're subconsciously, what you dream about and what you think about the next day when you wake up. And so it's really important to focus on good things before you go to bed um, or, or what you want you manifest into your life. Because I mean, there, I, I didn't really believe that until I saw it 
happen in my life where I noticed when, um, during COVID, I'm not much of a TV watcher and we got hooked on this TV, on some show on Netflix and it was pretty violent. It was, it's called Spartacus. And there was like Roman warriors killing each other. And I was loving this show and we would watch it before we would go to bed. And all night mm. long, I would like dream about that stuff. <laughs> Have you seen that show? Uh, I'm not I've seen lie. clips of it. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've seen every episode and there's times where I'll watch like a really disturbing episode and I'm just in fight or flight, just overwhelmed. I'm like, what? I just, I feel so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, oh my gosh. And so I'm like, this is not good before I go to bed. And so it, I really noticed the change, you know, when I can just kind of have a calm night and, you know, really turn off electronics, turn off TV about an hour before we go to bed. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Like uh, Jeremy was kind of hinting at, I'm a big advocate of morning rituals. As you say, I like that. Oh, he caught himself. Oh. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm paying attention. Growth <laughs> over there. Look at how grown oh, yeah. over there. What is your uh, morning ritual? So I used to have a, a two hour long one, like you were talking about with your friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since the pandemic happened, I've shortened it much because I realized I needed that last letter of Pacer, which is something I neglected for far too long. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I, I shortened it a lot. So I wasn't just totally pushing myself too hard. Um, but right now it's looking like meditation gratitude and then I, I usually work out in the morning i mean it's as simple as that but i mean still just having that short of one and comparing it to my you know my two hour long one i mean it's still having pretty much the same impact i mean it's it's crazy i mean i've told jeremy this before i mean when i started doing morning rituals probably about two years ago or so i mean it completely changed my life i mean it just made me feel just a hundred times better to the point where I was like kind of addicted to doing it. Like I loved, I'm not, I don't want to say I loved getting up in the morning, but uh, I loved spending my morning like in my house, everyone else is still asleep and I'm mm -hmm. going through all these practices and like, I don't know, something about it just makes me feel so good. And then my, the rest of my day is so much better compared to days that I, you know, I skip on it or whatever. Yeah, that's my favorite time of day too. It's the only time of day where I'm like, this is just for me to take care of me. 100%. And and then the family wakes up and it's, you know, I become the Go lunch down. lady <laughs> and the <laughs> Kyle's like, I have three kids, I feel you. <laughs> so one question we like to ask all our guests is if you had the ability to send one message to everybody in the world, what would it be? I would say, don't give up. You're loved, you're supported, and you got this. Well, With grit and grace, you've got this. <laughs> grit and grace. <laughs> So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. 
really enjoyed this talk, especially about the the morning ritual part. You know, I get into that. But um, before before we go, where can people find you on social media, website, all that good stuff? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, my website's amberlylago.com. And you can find free downloadable playbooks and a gratitude journal actually right there on the website. Um, my podcast is True Grit and Grace. My book is True Grit and Grace. And you can find that at your local bookstore or on Amazon. And you can see some behind the scenes at Amberly Lago Motivation on Instagram or Amberly Lago on Facebook or catch me doing some crazy dances on TikTok at Amberly Lago. <laughs> Beautiful. And um, what is your opinion on the Social Ninjas podcast? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> he asked what your opinion was on the Social Ninjas podcast. Oh, I thought, I thought you said, what was, what, was your, what was your ping? I was like, what is that? Some new lingo that I don't know about? <laughs> Let me tell oh. you, sister. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I told you before we started that I'd been listening to your show, and I love... I love how down to earth and real y'all are. Thank you. <laughs> I do. I'm serious. I love hanging out with y'all because you're real. Well, oh, if you if you would have met, I know I didn't know Kyle back in the day. We heard a story. If you would have met me when I was like in middle school and going through my severe social anxiety, oof, night and day. Man, if you would have met me like four years ago, night and day too. Yeah, let's celebrate. I also want to celebrate you for uh, your first run in 10, 10 years. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're so sweet. When you run back over here, let me know. I'll meet you. I live right off of Topanga. Neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Kyle, come to California and see us, okay? Hang out with us. What the, what the heck? All right. One day I'm never met Kyle over there. <laughs> definitely take not running them. over there <laughs> <laughs> well thank y'all so much i hope i get to see you in person sometime me too same well thank you all for listening to this episode hope you enjoyed it i know i did uh, if you did enjoy it please go leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts uh, go check out our website we got all sorts of nifty gifties on there until next week See you.